the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. May His grace and His blessing be with us now and unto the age of all ages, amen. Today, dear brothers and sisters, we celebrate the Divine Liturgy on the first Sunday of the Great Fast. And as you all know, the Great Fast is a 55-day period of intense prayer, fasting, charity, repentance, forgiveness, and many other virtues that we offer to the Lord God as we prepare to celebrate the feast of our Lord's resurrection. And too often, dear brothers and sisters, we misunderstand the fasts of the church by viewing them in a negative way. In other words, we focus on what we can't do, the foods that we cannot eat, the television that we cannot watch, the movies that we cannot go to, and this negative view of the fast skews our minds so that we begin to see the fast as an obligation, a heavy burden that we are forced to carry against our will. But the truth, however, is that this is not what the fast is all about. The fast is an opportunity, not an obligation. It is the sweetness of offering willfully ourselves to God and not the bitterness of being forced to do something against our will. The fast must be viewed in a positive light, as a chance to offer to the Lord God the things that are pleasing to Him. And we see this clearly in the readings of the Holy Church over the past week. The Church has been giving us a list of positive actions that we are to offer the Lord God during this fast. Last Saturday, the Saturday before the Great Fast, the Gospel was about repentance. Last Sunday, we heard about almsgiving, prayer, fasting, and forgiveness. Yesterday morning, the Gospel was about loving our enemies. And today, the Gospel is about not worrying and not judging others. It is as though the church is ringing her bells and calling the faithful sweetly and telling them, Come, let us use these 55 days as an opportunity to repent, to be charitable, to pray, to fast, to forgive, to not worry, to not judge, and more. Every single gospel reading this past week has been about a positive action that is pleasing to God. And we cannot speak about all of these positive actions today for the sake of time, so let us take one of them that is found in today's gospel, which came from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 30. It contains an important commandment that we oftentimes forget, the commandment not to worry. The commandment not to worry, not to be anxious in our lives. With God's grace, let us speak about worry and anxiety in only three points. First, let us try to define anxiety. From the very beginning, Christians have acknowledged anxiety as one of the passions, one of the diseases of our souls. The early church fathers oftentimes spoke of anxiety using the Greek word akedia or the Latin word acedia. And to be honest, it's quite difficult to find an exact English translation for this word. We oftentimes call this horrible disease despondency or anxiety or depression 
or sloth, or listlessness, or spiritual exhaustion, or emptiness, or even perhaps negligence. These are all words that kind of mean what that word means, but there is no single English word that captures what the Greek word means. Although this passion, this disease of anxiety has affected mankind from the very beginning, we see it all around us, especially in modern society. Today, for example, people live very close to one another in a physical sense. Consider how many people are in any neighborhood or how many are living close together in an apartment complex. But despite this physical closeness, people have never ever been more distant from one another than they are today. Every person lives as an island unto himself, and the result of everyone living in isolation has been a meteoric rise in anxiety and depression in the last hundred years. And it's not difficult to understand why our modern society is filled with worries and temptations that are unique in the history of the world. Undoubtedly, the single most significant cause of anxiety and depression is our separation from God. That is the single most significant cause of depression. Think about the prodigal son's misery while he was living in sin away from his loving father. And in addition, there are other factors contributing to this meteoric rise in anxiety and depression today. For example, the majority of us were born in the 20th century, which historians have labeled the bloodiest century in all of human history. War, terrorism, and even the fear of nuclear holocaust have become part of the very fabric of modern life. And in addition to these things, we worry about diseases like cancer and AIDS and different types of deadly influenzas and new bacteria that are popping up around the world. And these are but a few of the factors that are leading to our anxiety today. And then we add to that the fact that the modern media is significantly magnifying all of these things. The media reports on every single tragedy throughout the world in painstaking detail. You know, it used to be that a person would know his own challenges and maybe the challenges of his family and neighbor, but now we know the challenges and the adversities and the problems throughout the whole world in real time. These things are being beamed to us through the media and to our computers and smart devices. And the result of all of this, dear brothers and sisters, is that we are worried. We are anxious. Today, more people go to the doctor for depression than for almost anything else. 20 years ago, when Prozac was the drug of choice for treating depression, this country reached a point in which one in four Americans were using Prozac. Think about that. 25% of a population of, at that time, 250 million people, 25% were taking some kind of pharmacological remedy for depression and anxiety. This is but a small picture 
of depression and anxiety, and this is what we are now dealing with in our lives. Second, now that we have defined what we are talking about when we speak about anxiety, let us proceed to discussing its symptoms in our lives. At its core, achedia or anxiety or depression is a spiritual malaise. It is a restlessness. It is a deep dissatisfaction that can settle inside the heart of a person and become a permanent condition. Above all, it manifests itself in frustration and discontent. But there are other smaller signs of anxiety and depression, such as a reluctance to do work, discontent with being alone and quiet generally, an aversion to praying and reading the Holy Scripture, a temptation to sleep when there is no need to sleep, and an insatiable hunger. People respond to these symptoms of anxiety and depression in many ways. One of the most common responses is to keep busy, to make yourself busy, to get your mind off of things. And people who do this become very productive in focusing on different tasks, and that works until, of course, they stop working. And once they stop working, they realize that all of the things they accomplished brought them absolutely no lasting peace. They are right where they began. Other people respond to this anxiety by a constant desire for something new. They want to move to a new house or a new job, or they simply want to buy that new phone that promises to be a little bit faster than the old phone as though geographical or physical relocation is going to make them happy, as though that shiny new eye device is going to give them peace. All of these things are but distractions, and they are distractions from the real struggle, which is a struggle with ourselves. It's a struggle with ourselves. We use new houses, new cars, new phones, new jobs to help us forget the real issue the deep dissatisfaction that we feel inside ourselves. Instead of running to our prayer corner in our home or running to the church to attend the divine services, we end up trying to self-medicate this dissatisfaction with all sorts of nonsense. And even worse, what happens oftentimes is so horrible, so tragic, so sad, that I hesitate to even mention it. What oftentimes happens is that a person suffers from anxiety and depression so much that he believes there is no cure. This suffocating thought cuts a person off from God and his church, the source of healing, and sometimes even leads to suicide. The demon of depression and anxiety oftentimes prepares the way for the demon of despair. And once the demon of despair has his grip on us, we suffer even more seriously. Ava Isaac the Syrian, the great ascetic of the seventh century, wrote, once a man begins to doubt God's care for him, he begins to fall into a myriad of anxieties. And this is tragically the case for many people today, and it may even be the case for some of you seated here in the church this morning.
Third, how do we deal with this anxiety, with achedia, with depression, with this listlessness? Let us consider some remedies to help us if we are struggling in this world. The first way we can deal with anxiety, dear brothers and sisters, is to remember the ultimate weakness of evil. In other words, always remember that evil is weak. Evil is weak. By this, I am not suggesting that you don't take evil seriously. We take it very seriously. But instead, I suggest that you remember the important fact that God did not create evil. God did not create evil. If it were true that God created evil, then we would have every reason to be anxious and to despair because that would mean that evil will exist forever. If God created evil, then evil would exist forever, for all eternity. But there was a time, so to speak, there was a point in the history of creation in which evil did not exist. And similarly, there will be a time in the future when evil will no, will no longer exist. Evil is weak and power, powerless because it is not part of God's divine plan for creation. And we, rem we must remember this fundamental truth because God has given us to share in His victory over evil. Our Lord already started the war against evil. You remember when he was crucified, he was crucified in order to put to flight death and the devil and sin. He began the war against evil. And when he returns at the second coming, that is going to be the end of all of evil. And from his crucifixion until his glorious return, God willing, he is slowly squeezing evil out of the world through the church. This is one of the purposes or the mission of the church. The church stands against all evil and the church preaches holiness and goodness and is the light of the world to dispel the darkness of evil that is all around us. And all of you just by being here this morning are participating in God's victory over evil. Second, we must be focused on our spiritual goals no matter what. So even when we feel anxiety or depression, we cannot let that anxiety and depression get in the way of our spiritual goal. And I want to share with you an extreme example that is handed down to us by Evagrius of Pontus, a Palestinian monk who traveled to Egypt and learned from the Coptic monks back in the fourth century. He tells us about a monk who was doing well in his prayer and the demons wanted to derail him from his prayer life. So what did they do? For two weeks, the demons threw him up in the air as though he were a ball. They just kept throwing him up in the air to try to get him to lose his, his focus on prayer. But for two weeks, this monk kept praying while he was being thrown up in the air like a ball. For two weeks, he kept praying and he did not allow the demons to break his concentration. Now, granted, that is perhaps a more extreme example. I don't think any of us here should expect to be thrown up in the air like a ball by the demons. Those things happened back 
you know, during those times, those early times in the church. But all of us today, for example, when we fast, when we pray, we are assailed by many kinds of distractions and temptations. And sometimes we become anxious and then we let that anxiety get in the way of our spiritual lives. We say, I don't feel well, I don't want to go to church. I feel anxious about some tribulation in my life, I don't want to pray. And we allow the devil to get the best of us by, by preventing us from working towards our spiritual goals. But we can't let this happen no matter what. Even if you feel spiritually dry or anxious or empty or there's a tribulation in your life, focus on your spiritual life. And many people come and they say, Abuna, you know, I was praying, but I didn't feel anything because I was so distracted and miserable. It's okay. Keep praying. Keep forcing yourself through. And God, when he sees you forcing yourself through this prayer, even if you don't feel anything, God will begin to send his grace to you. And then everything will open up and you will see that God never really abandoned you and that this tribulation was for your strengthening. It was for your salvation. It was for your benefit. Third, we must remember that wherever we are in life, we are there according to the will of God. How often do the demons attack us with the thought that our life has no meaning, that other people are living better lives than we are? We must always reject this idea, this idea of comparing ourselves to other people and then getting depressed because we feel we're not up to their standard. A monk who was struggling with his depression while living in his cell in the monastery once approached St. Macarius of Alexandria and asked him, what shall I do about this demon because he is suggesting that I'm wasting my life? Imagine the monk is praying morning and night in his cell and he has a demon there next to him telling him, what is all of this prayer that you're doing in your cell? You're wasting your life. You should be out in the world accomplishing something. Make a name for yourself. And the demon, the, the, the monk, I should say, asked Ava Macarius, what should I do about this demon? And Ava Macarius told him, go tell that demon that you are guarding the four corners of your cell according to the will of God. Go tell that demon, basically, that God puts you in the cell to pray and fast all day, and you are doing the will of God by being there. In other words, remember, wherever you are in life, you are there because of the will of God. This is very important because sometimes we don't feel fulfilled in life because we think this thing that I'm doing is really menial. It's really boring. It has no point. But you know, our Lord himself lived a very simple life from the time he was born until the time he was 30 years old. What did our Lord do during that time, those three decades? He worked as a carpenter with his adoptive father, St. Joseph. He didn't do anything great. He worked as a carpenter for 30 years. And then the four Gospels speak to us about three years of his life. So he worked 10 times longer in something considered boring, menial. We don't even have a record of what our Lord did as a carpenter. But we have the four Gospels about what he did for the three years of his ministry. 
And that is an important lesson for us. Don't look at what's going on around you and feel, well, I have to always be doing something great. No, maybe God wants you to do the simple task. Maybe God wants you for a time to be a mother serving your children at home or to be in a job where you're not getting promoted as quickly as you want. Maybe that's God's will for you for a time until the time when he sees it will be good for you to advance your career or to help you to do something else. And that's okay. But oftentimes we're so impatient. We want God to work now, now. We want instant gratification. No, it's okay if you're doing something that is menial or boring or it's not as exciting as you think it should be. It's okay. There will be a time when God will call you to greater things if that is his will. Fourth, anytime we feel anxiety, we must practice patience, which is the greatest cure for anxiety according to the fathers. We remember the great Ava Antony, the father of all of the monks, when he first entered the wilderness to become a monk and how he struggled at the beginning with thoughts of anxiety and depression. He prayed to God in his depression saying, Lord, I thought I was going to come into the wilderness and pray 24 hours a day, but I'm depressed. I don't know what to do. And so the Lord sent him a short while later. He sent him an angel outside of his cell and the angel was sitting down and he had some palm leaves and he was weaving those palm leaves into a mat. And the angel would do that, let's say for 45 minutes, and then the angel would stand up and pray for 15 minutes. Then he would sit down and work on the mat for 45 minutes and then pray for 15 minutes and so on and so forth. And the angel said to him, do like me and you will be saved. St. Anthony was depressed because he had this ideal vision of what he was going to do in the wilderness, but he couldn't do it. And the depression was getting to him. And so God showed him a way to be patient. Go work and pray, work and pray. And similarly, whenever we are attacked by the demon of anxiety, we have to alternate between prayer and work, prayer and work. This patience, this patience allows us to outlast the attack of the demon and overcome him by the grace of God. As the Holy Apostle James teaches us in his epistle, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Patience is the answer to depression or to any anxiety in our lives. The fifth and the final remedy to anxiety that we will speak about today is what we call spiritual knowledge. Spiritual knowledge. Oftentimes we suffer greatly in this world because of our spiritual ignorance. In other words, we don't realize that maybe God is using a certain circumstance in our lives for the sake of our salvation. We sometimes think the tribulations are punishments. And if we think the tribulation is a punishment, then we disconnect with God and we say to him, God, I come to church, I fast, I pray, and I still have this tribulation. You are not fair. I am not coming to your church again. That is spiritual ignorance. That is not recognizing that this tribulation is not a punishment, 
but rather it is a grace from God to somehow bring you closer to salvation. St. John Chrysostomus wrote a very small work entitled On Providence. And he teaches us in this work that there is absolutely no suffering endured by a believer in faith that will not be redemptive. That means nothing that you face in this world that is a tribulation will not in some way lead to your salvation. Every trial, every hardship, every tribulation, every temptation that you bear with faith will result in a beautiful crown at the end of your life. Our community has been experiencing this over the past week as we heard about the horrific murder of our brothers and sisters in Sinai, in Egypt, the families that are being terrorized by ISIS, a father and a son who were shot and just buried. I think one was buried alive and many other families who were displaced by those terrorists in the desert of Egypt. And of course, we rejoice when we hear about anyone dying for the faith because we know they receive the eternal crown of martyrdom. But at the same time, we mourn the loss of life. We mourn their terrible circumstances. But we know that these terrible circumstances for them and for us and for the church generally are going to result in heavenly crowns. When things are over, those people who suffer today will rejoice forever in a place where there is no sorrow and no evil and no temptation and no tears and nothing that will bring any kind of sadness to them. That is our hope as Christians. And this is the hope that we must embrace in the midst of any depression, of any anxiety, of any hardship, temptation, tribulation, this hope that yes, while I am suffering now by the will of God, tomorrow is going to be better because tomorrow that eternal day that will come when Christ returns at the end of our lives, that day will be splendid and magnificent. There will be nothing like it as the Holy Apostle Paul assures us when he says, no eye has seen, neither ear heard, neither has come upon the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So let us love him and let us love him even during times of anxiety, even times of depression and tribulation. Let us love him and never lose hope so that we can be united with him, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. To our Lord be all glory, to the All-Holy Father, to the All-Holy Son, to the All-Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.